Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Thursday, November 9th, TH, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. Turning to today's forecast out of Riverside, temperatures are looking pleasant with a high of 75.6 degrees and a mild low of 65.9 to keep the evening cozy. Now, as we look ahead to our program, we'll be delving into some critical global and local news. First, we examine the harrowing situation in the Middle East as recent satellite imagery lays bare the devastation in Gaza City. The ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas has resulted in catastrophic destruction, which we'll unpack with expert analysis and on-the-ground reports. Then, after months of deadlock and negotiations, there's relief in Hollywood. We'll bring you the ins and outs of the New Deal, as SAG-AFTRA and major studios finally end their strike, and what this means for your favorite TV shows and films going forward. In health news, we're looking at a significant breakthrough as GLP-1 weight loss drugs not only make waves in the healthcare industry but also show promise in the realm of addiction treatment. We'll explore the science and the implications for the future of medicine in the United States. Lastly, shifting gears to education, we report on the recent school board elections where liberal and moderate candidates have claimed victory over conservative contenders. This sweep is a win for proponents of inclusive education, and we'll discuss what changes might be anticipated in school policies and curriculums. Stay tuned for these stories and more, right here on Alex's News. Turning our attention to the top story of the day, the Middle East conflict continues to escalate, with particular devastation being reported in Gaza City. Our reporter Ethan has been following the situation closely. Ethan, the images coming out of Gaza are harrowing. Can you give us some insight into the current state of affairs there? Absolutely, Grace. The situation in Gaza City has reached a critical level of destruction. I've been going through the latest satellite imagery analysis from the European Space Agency, and it's indicated that up to a third of the city has been either damaged or completely destroyed by the bombing. Those are significant numbers. Ethan, to put this into perspective for our viewers, just how extensive is the damage according to these reports? Well, Grace, the northern half of Gaza is experiencing catastrophic losses with an estimated 27% to 35% of all buildings damaged. This impact extends across the Gaza Strip, where we see between 13% and 18% of structures destroyed or damaged. NPR has gone as far as to report that the conflict has caused over 10,000 Palestinian deaths and displaced nearly 1.5 million people. 1.5 million displaced. That's a massive humanitarian crisis. The UN rights chief called it a living nightmare. Ethan, what other updates are coming out from Al Jazeera regarding the war? Al Jazeera is providing very comprehensive coverage on the conflict, Grace. They're breaking down the complexity by offering sections that explain Israel's weapons, a guide to the conflict's history, and even a live tracker. They're not just looking at the immediate battle but also delving into the underlying factors, such as the Iran-Israel relationship, the West Bank situation, and the unique challenges facing the children in Gaza. With the lack of water and the personal stories coming out from diaries of the war, it seems there's an intimate portrayal of suffering being documented? Indeed. Grace, there are vivid accounts from within Al-Shifa Hospital, 
explorations of military analysis, and, quite poignantly, efforts to humanize the crisis by sharing the names of the victims. Al Jazeera is also drawing parallels with other global issues, linking to content on the Ukraine war, the coronavirus pandemic, and even environmental concerns like the climate crisis. It's crucial to have that context. The NPR articles you mentioned earlier, do they offer additional insights? Absolutely, Grace. NPR's collection really gives breadth to the conflict, touching on the subterranean adaptations of Israeli hospitals in response to rocket threats, the dire situation at the Rafah border crossing, and the precariousness of Gaza's own medical facilities. They explore geopolitical concerns, like a possible power vacuum if Hamas is defeated, and the perspective of an American who managed to leave Gaza. Ethan, can we speculate on what happens next or the potential implications of this conflict? Well, Grace, that's difficult to predict with certainty. Still, the international calls for a humanitarian pause suggest an urgent need to address the crisis and possibly open the door to diplomatic solutions. However, the overarching U.S. strategy and Qatar's increasing influence in the conflict could sculpt the nature of any resolutions. Then there's the immediate concern for Palestinian workers and Israeli employers in a region where the economy is already burdened. An incredibly complex situation that's constantly evolving. Ethan, thank you for the in-depth reporting and for helping us understand the layers of this devastating conflict. It's my responsibility to convey these stories, Grace. Thank you. That was Ethan with the latest on the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. Coming up next, we have story two of four on today's news docket. Stay with us for more coverage. Turning now to a major update coming out of Hollywood. After a grueling 118-day strike that brought much of the entertainment industry to a standstill, it seems that actors are ready to return to set. SAG-AFTRA, the union representing these Hollywood talents, has struck a tentative new three-year contract with the studios. Joining us now to delve deeper into this story is our entertainment expert, Chloe. Chloe, can you give us an overview of what this new agreement means? Absolutely, Grace. This new deal appears to be a substantial win for the actors. It's a package valued at over $1 billion, and it covers a range of critical concerns that were at the heart of the strike. The SAG-AFTRA TV, theatrical committee has unanimously approved it, and now it just needs the performers to give the final nod. So, a unanimous committee vote is a strong signal. But what exactly does this contract offer to the members that sets it apart from other union agreements this year? Well, for one, the actors are getting pay increases that exceed the raises other unions have secured. They're also looking at what's called a streaming participation bonus, which is incredibly relevant as the industry leans more into platforms like Netflix and Hulu. Further, there are protections in place related to diverse casting and pivotal clauses shielding members from potential abuse or misuse of AI technology. AI has certainly been a hot topic across many industries. Now, let's talk high-profile involvement. How have individuals like George Clooney, Ben Affleck, and Emma Stone influenced this outcome? Their involvement turned out to be key. When negotiations hit a stalemate, these A-listers helped pull down barriers. Their presence underscored the urgency and fairness of the demands, which includes compensation rises for background performers too, a group that's often overlooked in these discussions. With productions halted and premieres delayed, the pressure for resolution must have been intense. 
What pushed the studios to finally compromise here? Resistance was palpable at first, but it seems the combined weight of persistent union advocacy and the cloud of such influential actors led to the studios realizing that a fair deal was in their best interest too, especially considering the accumulating losses due to halted productions. It sounds like the New Deal addresses many core concerns. Could you touch on some of the finer points of the agreement, beyond wage increases? Sure. The union has been fighting for an all-encompassing package. That includes a more aligned compensation model with streaming success, which is more and more the bread and butter of Hollywood. Then there's the significant issue of self-taped auditions. Actors were looking to end the practice of paying out of pocket for these, a burden on the performers, and it seems they've made headway there. All right. So what are the next steps? When can we expect Hollywood to be fully back in business? The deal will head to SAG-AFTRA's national board, and approval seems nearly guaranteed. We're aiming at an official strike lift at 12.01 a.m. on Thursday. This means lights, camera, action is back on the agenda, and it's a defining moment for collective bargaining and workers' rights, notably in such a high-profile field. And before we go, Chloe, where are we getting our information on this developing story? NPR and The Hollywood Reporter have been at the forefront, offering detailed reports on these developments. We're closely monitoring their feeds for any new details that emerge after the National Board's decision. Chloe, thanks so much for walking us through the complexities of this Hollywood strike resolution. It's great news for the industry and audiences alike. My pleasure, Grace. It'll be exciting to see how this agreement shapes the industry moving forward. Good evening, I'm, your name, and here are some other headlines. Asterisk overview of today's top headlines asterisk asterisk one. Election issues in Mississippi asterisk as we look to Mississippi, voters encountered setbacks in their governor's election with reports of widespread ballot shortages creating a stir. Questions are being raised about election integrity and the fairness of access to the democratic process. Asterisk asterisk two. Republican debate focuses on Trump and Israel asterisk the political landscape continues to evolve as GOP candidates, in a recent debate, positioned themselves in opposition to former President Donald Trump, while simultaneously showing strong support for Israel, a nuanced approach indicating a possible shift in internal party dynamics. Asterisk asterisk 3. Legal efforts against Trump in Michigan asterisk turning to Michigan a critical legal case is gaining attention as efforts intensify to block Donald Trump from appearing on the ballot. The outcome of this case is expected to have far-reaching consequences for political strategies at both state and national levels. Asterisk asterisk 4. Texas voters push for judicial retirement asterisk in Texas. The electorate is making a clear statement regarding their judiciary, with emerging results suggesting a push for the retirement of older judges. This could signify a significant change in the judicial system of the state, reflecting the public's appetite for transformation. Asterisk asterisk 5. Increased scrutiny on U.S.-China investments asterisk on Capitol Hill. Lawmakers are pushing for more transparency, preparing legislation that would have private equity firms disclose their financial ties with China. This initiative underscores the growing concerns about the implications of U.S.-China economic relationships on national security. That's a wrap on some other headlines making waves today. We will not be covering these stories later, but stay tuned for more on other pressing news.
We're diving into a story about a new class of weight loss drugs that seem to be making waves in the U.S. healthcare system. Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk have launched drugs that are not only fighting obesity but may also hold the key to treating addiction. To help us unpack this, we have Ethan with us, our specialist correspondent. Ethan, can you give us a rundown of what's happening here? Absolutely, Grace. So, we're looking at a new category of drugs known as GLP-1S which mimic a hormone that regulates our appetite and blood sugar levels. The FDA has approved a couple of these drugs, terzepatide from Eli Lilly and semaglutide, which is marketed as Wegovy for obesity and Ozempic for diabetes by Novo Nordisk. They're showing incredible promise by helping individuals drop up to 22% of their body weight in clinical studies. That's quite a significant impact on body weight. Can you explain a bit more about how these drugs actually work? Certainly. The GLP-1 hormone normally triggers the feeling of fullness you get after eating. What these drugs do is mimic that effect, which means they can reduce appetite and slow digestion. By doing this, they help lower blood sugar levels and, as we've seen, result in weight loss over time. It's a game-changer for those struggling with obesity. With obesity being such a critical issue in the US, this does seem like a breakthrough. But what about the cost of these drugs? That's one of the challenges right now. The list prices for these medicines are pretty high, which might make them inaccessible to a lot of people. Insurance coverage is limited, although there's hope that as demand increases and more time passes, prices may go down and coverage may be expanded. Interesting, and I've heard there's a potential here for treating addiction too. What can you tell us about that? That's an emerging aspect of these drugs. While the specifics are still being researched, the idea is that the same mechanisms that reduce the urge to eat could also curb other types of compulsive behaviors, potentially including addiction. It's an area drawing a lot of interest, but more work is needed to understand how GLP-1s could be used in this way. With such a spotlight on these drugs, how are consumers reacting? What's been the response in the market? There's a real buzz among consumers. Walgreens, for instance, has reported a notable jump in demand for GLP-1s. It goes beyond just the healthcare impact, it's affecting consumer behavior and even retail. What's intriguing is how these drugs might influence shopping habits, especially purchases of snack foods or other indulgences, although that remains to be seen. Certainly a lot to think about with the introduction of these drugs. Thanks for breaking it down for us, Ethan. It's clear that while there may be hurdles like cost and insurance coverage, the potential for significant long-term benefits in healthcare and possibly addiction treatment can't be ignored. My pleasure, Grace. It's definitely a space we'll keep watching closely. We'll be sure to follow up on this story as it develops. Moving on to our fourth and final story of the morning. Turning now to an important story shaping future educational landscapes, school board races across the nation are making headlines. And for more on this, we're joined by our reporter Chloe, with an update on these critical local elections turning into battlegrounds for national issues. Chloe, can you tell us what the current situation looks like? Absolutely, Grace. What we're seeing is quite remarkable. Liberal and moderate candidates have scored significant victories in a series of contentious school board races throughout the country. These candidates are rising against conservative opponents who were pushing to ban books and restrict classroom discussions on topics like race and gender. Their wins are sending ripples across conservative strongholds. 
That sounds like a substantial shift. Can you dive a little deeper into the key elements or incidents that have made up this story? Of course, Grace. According to the Associated Press and ABC News, voters seem to be pushing back on policies that many find restrictive or exclusionary. In states like Iowa, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, there were clear wins for Democrats on school boards, even in areas previously led by GOP majorities. A pivotal example comes from Pennsylvania, where the shift in control came after policies specifically targeting transgender students were put in place by Republican-led boards. So, what might these victories mean for the future of education and the treatment of these hot-button issues in classrooms? Well, these results could forecast a more inclusive and open approach to education in the affected districts. It suggests that there's a growing concern for the needs of students and that voters are opposed to banning books and censoring parts of history. This change also appears to advocate for policies that affirm students' identities rather than undermine them, particularly for LGBTQ youth. Interesting. And what about the other side? How are conservative groups responding to these outcomes? It's important to acknowledge that conservative groups, like Moms for Liberty and the 1776 Project, do highlight victories of their own, mentioning that some of their endorsed candidates, like those in York County, Pennsylvania, and the Cypress-Fairbanks District in Texas, did manage to secure seats. Yet, these instances seem to be the exception this time around, with about 70% of races nationwide leading to defeat for candidates backed by these conservative groups, as reported by the American Federation of Teachers. It seems then that school boards are really becoming proxies for larger national debates. How are they shaping up to be the arenas for these broader issues? Precisely, Grace, school boards are at the forefront of debates over curriculum standards, disciplinary policies, and even larger societal issues. For example, the school board races in Loudoun County, Virginia, became a highly watched battleground over policies regarding transgender students. The implications of these races go far beyond the schoolyard, they're about reflecting the values and priorities of the communities they serve. It's a clear indication that education issues are deeply important to local populations. Absolutely. Chloe, these school board races indeed highlight the intersection of education and societal values. Thank you for bringing us this insightful analysis on these developing educational trends. It's my pleasure, Grace. It's certainly a story to watch as we consider the potential long-term impacts on our nation's approach to education and inclusivity. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.